it is so easy to feel like what we're experiencing, no one else has experienced before, nor could anybody imagine what we're going through. And the reality is that is extremely selfish thinking. This is It's Okay That You're Not Okay, and I'm your host, Megan Devine. This week on the show, author and modern elder Chip Conley on the losses of midlife and the power of telling the truth for yourself and as a beacon to the wider world. Settle in, everyone. All of that and more coming up after this first break. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Before we get started, one quick note. While we cover a lot of emotional, relational territory in our time here together, this show is not a substitute for skilled support with a licensed mental health provider or for professional supervision related to your work. Hey, friends. Okay, so this episode is like one of those spot all the hidden items puzzles. You know what I mean? Like, instead of a list of everyday items that you need to find hidden in a drawing of a cute woodland scene or something, today's episode is more like, how many losses can you spot inside midlife? Midlife is full of losses. Divorce, the death of your parents, menopause, health scares, emptiness, career changes, feeling increasingly irrelevant. Midlife has terrible branding according to today's guest, Chip Conley. I love that. Midlife has terrible branding. 
I will also say that midlife, and you'll hear it in our episode today, but midlife is not like it starts at this age and, and like we're not defining it like that. We're defining it more in the way of multiple cascading things that happen as you enter into certain time periods of your life. And as our guest says, midlife has terrible branding. Now, Chip Conley is an interesting guy. He started out in the hospitality industry, founding a successful luxury hotel brand. But after the loss of several of his friends to suicide, plus his own near-death experience in his 50s, he sold that luxury hotel company, eventually joining Airbnb in their early days as a strategic advisor for hospitality and leadership. These days, he's the founder of the Modern Elder Academy, which helps people in what he calls their third age find their path forward. Now, here's something that I love about this show, like the whole podcast itself, the entire arc, but also this episode in particular. When famous people get interviewed, it's usually about their successes, right? It's like about their current project, their new book or their whatever. Now, obviously, we talk about Chip's current projects and we link them in the show notes, but this episode is layered with grief, so much of it that's rarely addressed. And that goes back to my reference to those hidden image puzzles from a minute ago. While we talk about generosity and hospitality as a way of life in this episode, we also talk about coming out as a gay man in the 80s and what it means to keep coming out all through your life. We talk about the stacked losses of midlife, including watching the machinery of business and success and loneliness destroy your friends. Now, a content note on that, this episode contains a mention of suicide along with a brief mention of the manner of death. You'll hear it coming if for some reason you just skip over just that little part of it. And we also explore the grief involved in facing cancer diagnoses not once but twice for Chip. It's not the greatest hits of success and current projects that you hear on like usual interviews or conversations where we talk to famous and successful people. This episode, and again, the entire podcast, is about the human life behind all of that. Now, even with all of this real human life stuff, this conversation didn't leave me feeling down. It didn't leave me feeling down about midlife, and it didn't leave me feeling down about the state of the world. There is both hope and meaning to be found inside all of these difficult parts of life, and in using the truth of your own life to encourage and empower others to build lives that have meaning for them, no matter what age they are. So if you need some hopeful stuff inside the messy, real human life. Well, let's get into it. Here's my conversation with modern elder Chip Conley. Chip, I am so glad to have you here with me today. We have friends in common. I feel like we have relationships in common. There are a lot of things that I actually want to explore with you today, but I would love to start in midlife if we could. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to quote you here and then I want to run with it. Like you wrote that midlife has a terrible brand. It's all about crisis and that if you can survive your own midlife crisis, all you have to look forward to is disease, decrepitude, and death, (laughs) which, you know, sometimes that's what it feels like. But could you define for us what you mean by midlife and what makes midlife interesting to you? Sure. So the definition of midlife has evolved in the last 25 to 50 years. It used to be perceived as 40 to 60, then it went to 40 to 65. 
sociologists now consider 35 to 75 to be <laughs> midlife in, in an era <clears throat> where people are living to 100. I, I'd say the core of midlife, though, is is really around 45 to 65. I think that that's to me, it, it can start earlier than that. But I, I do think that it's that's really the core of it. So it's less about the chronological age because that is some funky math. If seventy-five yeah. is midlife, I agree. But it's it is the stage of life, and and often societal definition of midlife relates to the end of youth, in, including young adulthood, and the beginning of what it means to be an elder uh, mm. potentially. I really think that the definition that we have, the midlife crisis premise, was really based upon the idea that there's all these transitions that are happening in midlife. You go, you know, you might get divorced, you're going through menopause, your parents are passing away, you empty nest with your kids potentially, changing careers, you know, uh, addictions be going wild, maybe a, a diagnosis that's scary. These are the kinds of things that happen in midlife. So all of that sounds bad, but it isn't all bad. I think, you know, I like to think of midlife as a chrysalis, not a crisis. Mm -hmm. So if you think about the caterpillar to butterfly journey, midlife is in fact the chrysalis. It's where it's dark and gooey and solitary, but it's also where the transformation happens. Mm -hmm. And I deeply believe that midlife, and, and, and I'm not the only one to say this, Carl Jung spoke very much about this as a psychologist, and Richard Rohr is a good friend and has given me great tutelage on this as, as maybe the best known Christian mystic in the world. Midlife is this time when all of your transitions give you the opportunity to change your operating system of how you're living. Uh, and we can talk more about that. But I, I do believe that that's the opportunity of midlife. Mm, I love this. And as you're describing this, I'm, I'm thinking about this a very popular meme of mine where like it's an image of a chrysalis and the the caption is like when you're grieving or when you're going through a hard time you're in that goo and you've got all of these sort of cheerleaders outside of that chrysalis outside of that cocoon saying you got this you're a butterfly like all of this hype and i i'm really interested personally and professionally in the goo part of it yeah you use the word liminality a lot mm -hmm. in your writing. How do you see, if you see grief related to that liminal part yeah. of life, that goo, is is there grief in there for you? Well, of course there is. Mm -hmm. And well, I'm sure we'll talk about some of my times that I've had grief in my life. You will not let me leave the show without that. I will not. Um, <laughs> no, but it's, it's, it's kind of required. Yeah, it, it is. If one can actually see grief as liminal, Wow, that that is beautiful. Mm. Because let's talk about what liminal means. Liminal means is an in transition and in between space. It's often the threshold between two eras. And so can grief be the glue between those two eras? Absolutely. But the beautiful thing about thinking of grief as liminal is liminal is not a state that you last in for very long. It's a transitional state. So one of the challenges with grief is the feeling like it will never end mm. and the feeling of it's a lifelong diagnosis. Mm. And I'm not saying that grief doesn't continue. It does. But the pervasive nature of it being ever present and, you know, sort of all consuming, if grief is liminal, it means that that kind of all consuming nature of it can actually start to, to be distilled down. Mm to a place where it actually is more manageable and you get to the other side of it. So 
I'm a big fan of William Bridges' work um, and you know the three the transitions, the idea of three three stages of a transition. And the first stage is the ending of something. The second stage is the messy middle. And the third stage is the new beginning. And and, and, and frankly, the caterpillar to butterfly journey is in fact that the ending of something, the messy middle, you know, the beginning of something new. Often grief is something that happens around stage one and stage two, the ending of something and the messy middle. And depending upon how you have built up your TQ, your transitional intelligence in such a way to understand how to navigate change in your life, which is something that we we teach at the Modern Elder Academy at MEU, which we'll talk about later. If you can actually understand what it means to be in that messy middle, you can actually move through the grief in a more natural, humane, and accelerated fashion. And when I say accelerated fashion, I don't mean in two days or three days. I mean, not 10 years. So I do believe that you know grief is liminality and you know, liminality and grief have a lot in common. Yeah, they really do. There's something about the stillness there. And, and you know, I I talk and teach and write a lot about how much we rush the middle. And you don't get to the next life. I'm I'm not talking about life after death here, but I'm talking about like the next the next iteration of your life mm-hmm. when something ends without going through that transition and that dissolution. And there's just there's just such emphasis on like, be a damn butterfly already. And yeah. I, I really love this, like, what do we need inside that liminal space to feel like we have all the time we need to dissolve into that? Yeah. And I think, it, you know, let's also make sure that we don't have performance anxiety in this process. Mm, what does that mean? Well, for some people, it might take longer than for others. Mm-hmm. It may take longer to go through the grief. And depending upon what the situation is and, and whether it's a surprise or not, there's a lot of variables. Is this something that will last forever? You know, when someone passes, that is true. Is this something that feels personal to me? You know, like it's a stain on me that can, there, there's a grief in that, of mm-hmm. course. So there's a lot of variables that, you know, I think influence how quickly you can go through something. Mm. And if it's predictable, can I talk about my first grief? One of my grief experiences? Yes, for sure. My first grief experience, but it's a grief experience that is really profound for me on so many levels because it was someone who passed, they passed by suicide and an enormous surprise. It happened at a time where it felt very personal to me. So the grief was deep and profound. So let me explain the story. So in my speaking about midlife, um, there's something called the U-curve of happiness. U-curve of happiness research is fascinating around the world. It shows that generally speaking from about age 22 till about age 45 to 50, we have a slow decline in life satisfaction. We bottom out around 45 to 50. And after that, with each passing decade, we get happier and happier. Very interesting. Uh, very, very much against the societal perspective that aging is aging sucks. It, actually, frankly, as people get older, they get happier after age 50. But long story short is I was in between 45 and 50. And this was during the Great Recession. This was, you know, 2008, 2010, approximately. I hit a bottom on every level in my life, every single level. Everything was sort of, everything sucked. Everything was not going well. Psychologically, I was having a hard time with it also. So what ended up, ended up happening is I had a friend named Chip. <laughs> not <laughs> Like, this is not my imaginary friendship. <laughs> no, the real embodied chip. The real embodied chip, Chip Hankins, my insurance broker and a good friend. 
And Chip was somebody I would go to to just get advice on occasion. And I'll, there were a lot of us who did that with Chip. Now, Chip had some chronic back pain. He also had some other things going on in his life emotionally. He had depression that he really didn't talk about much. But long story short is when I was going through my dark night of the soul, my friend Chip decided to hang himself in the family tree. So his wife and two sons came out and found him there in the morning. And, you know, to lose a friend to suicide, I lost five friends to suicide during the Great Recession on all of them then. And, but to lose Chip in particular was really hard because we have the same name. He was somebody I saw as a bit of a mirror. It came as a surprise. It happened in New Zealand. He lived part-time in New Zealand and part-time in the Bay Area. With, and I lived in the Bay Area. He had lived in the Bay Area a long time, but his wife was a Kiwi. So they split their time. So I felt really distant from all of this and including distant from his wife. So going to his memorial service where everybody got up and told their chip stories at a time when I was having suicide ideation myself, it was crazy. It was, I was crying uncontrollably at the memorial and I don't cry easily in public. And then I ended up having a flatline experience less than two months later, to allergic reaction to a, an antibiotic. So ultimately this, this whole little window of chip leaving the planet, going to his memorial service, having a, a flatline experience was a bit of a divine intervention for me to, mm. to really accelerate my process through what was going to be a long, deep grief period. But I still have a hard time talking about this without getting a little broken up because we're all still finding it a bit of a mystery as to why Chip chose to, to leave the planet. And for me, at the end of the day, I, I, I'm a big believer in despair equals suffering minus meaning. Um, uh, if you were to take Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl's book, and distill it down to a quite an, an emotional equation, it would be despair equals suffering minus meaning. Suffering's ever present. That's sort of a Buddhist, you know, first noble truth of Buddhism. And meaning and despair are inversely proportional. So what I had to do during that time was try to make some meaning in out of a time that felt really crazy and tragic. And I actually ended up starting to teach my leadership team. I was a CEO of a boutique hotel company at that time. And I started teaching my leadership team the same thing, you know, during the Great Recession. How do we find meaning? What is our individual meaning? What is our team meaning? How do we how do we come together around meaning? Mm. So I, I did, I found meaning by actually, by helping to be a meaning maker for other people as well. But the grief still is there. So it's no longer in that, you know, front and center in my life, but it, it lingers. It's no longer in that sort of tight orb. And thank you for sharing that story with us. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. 
When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Hey, before we get back to the show, do you have questions about grief if you're like most people i totally bet you do like questions like is what i'm feeling normal or maybe you'd like to know if there's a way to ask for the help you need if you're going through a hard time without sounding ungrateful for the help you're already getting you have questions and i have answers every fourth thursday of the month come get your questions answered and meet other people just like you in my live video call-in session all of the details are at patreon.com backslash Megan Devine, and you can find the link in the show notes. I'll see you this month. Now let's get back to my conversation with Chip Conley. It's not easy to revisit these things. These are like really intensely deep events with so many layers and so many facets to them. And, you know, one of the many things that's interesting about this story that you just shared, it's like there are so many losses inside this sort of mid-life time period, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe you are taking care of aging parents or your parents have died. You are maybe getting life-changing diagnoses. You're aging out of your workplace. Recession was a really big one. And also, mm -hmm. friends are dying, mm -hmm. right? This time period is so full of my, my dad calls this the everyday grief that we don't call grief, but like I think that you hit a point somewhere in midlife, depending on who you are and your life circumstances and what you've experienced, but you hit this point where you just sort of drop and look at the accumulation of emotion and relationship and loss and doors closed and opportunities lost and really start to do that evaluation of what is this all for? And I love how you've you've spoken about that I mean, I'm going to put words in your mouth right now, but like the way that you you speak about that, like you're you're describing the grief of life assessment and how much grief mm -hmm. how much grief is inherent in looking around and assessing your life. I don't know, meaning is such a tricky word for me. I love the way that you just described that the distillation of Frankel's work. Mm -hmm. What did you you said despair minus meaning? Despair is, equals suffering minus meaning. Okay. So meaning is another one of those things that people are like, you have to find meaning in what you've gone through or you can't survive. And like I feel like that's that's in that same in the same vein of 
cheerleading the chrysalis to hurry up and be a, yeah. a, a butterfly already. But like the way that you just described that, I don't hear meaning as in I found meaning in Chip's death and in the other deaths of friends around me. And I found meaning in what happened to me. But more like if I have to live here, what meaning will I bring to this life for myself? Does that does that feel like an ag- a more accurate description? Yeah, that's definitely more accurate. Okay. It's not about actually how do I create this equation to take my pain away. Mm-hmm. It is more about how am I in my pain looking for lessons that will serve me in the future. Mm-hmm. And in so doing, give me the feeling that this, even though this is a difficult time, that there's something positive that might come out of it. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to be Pollyanna. I mean, I don't, I, I think, and that's what sort of for many people with their friends. It's like, you know, you go and you just try to like immediately put a, you know, a smiling face on a difficult situation. And, you know, that's not usually the best th- way for someone to feel heard or seen. I had a partner, I'm, I'm gay and I had a, a my partner who I was with at that time didn't know what to do with me. He could see how difficult I was taking Chip's passing as well as my other friends who were taking their lives and my own issues. And he just constantly wanted to say, let's go have, let's go out to dinner with some friends. Let's like take your mind off of it. That's what he would usually say. Take, let's take your mind off of it. And there's some logic in trying to take your mind off of it. But I think the better way to do that is not to distract. It's more to help a person see how can, how can they serve? You know, when you're in the state that li- the liminality space is when you feel like the the floor under you no longer exists mm-hmm. and you just don't, you feel like you're falling. What is it that can actually help you get to get to the other side of that? And sometimes it's actually learning how to serve mm-hmm. at, at the point when you need other people to serve you. How can you step in and learn how to serve? And, uh, I wouldn't say that in the first few days when someone's in guilt and grief, <laughs> but I do think that yeah, that's get a up lot. and make a foundation. Yeah, no, no, but that is. I, I do think that there, there's some real value in that. Mm. And Frankel's work speaks to that as well. Frankel's like, you know, he's said something to the effect of like, what's supposed to come through you? Like, what is, mm. you know, not what are you here? What are you here to get? It's what are you here to, to give? I love this and. There's also sort of that that cultural narrative, that social pressure that's like, you know, if your kid was killed by a drunk driver or, or killed in a school shooting, it's like you have to become an activist so that their death had meaning. How can you serve mm. others? How can you change things? And I, I want to mention for everybody that like you don't have to do that. It is not required mm. that you change the world because of what you've experienced in your life. Mm-hmm. If you do, yay, that's awesome. But this is this something I actually hear in what you're saying and because I spent so much time reading your work the last few days is like mm. what we're talking about is not these are the steps that you have to take. These are the actions you have to take to live this good life. It's more like given what this life has been and what this life is now in this liminal space, what feels true for me? What mm-hmm. feels nourishing and nurturing and supportive to me? And can I hold on to those things to build this next part of my life? Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Rumi's, Rumi, Rumi's poetry and one of them called The Guest House, mm-hmm. uh, a poem about allowing the emotions to come through you has always spoken to me, partly because I'm a hotelier. <clears throat> so the idea of being an innkeeper of emotions 
is interesting. And the idea of the poem is that these emotions are going to come through you. Some of them are going to sweep in and be maybe, I don't want to say violent, I think, but I, he might use that word in, in the poem. But they're definitely going to come in and sort of take over your home. And the key is to welcome them and serve them. And then make sure that they know there's, there's a checkout time as mm -hmm. well. And so as a hotelier, the idea that our emotions are meant to, to sweep through us and we are meant to be emotionally fluent enough to feel them and to understand them, but then to also see them to the door when it's time, you know, for something else, because the physical manifestation of an emotion doesn't last very long, you know, in terms of how does it, how does it sit in your body, but the shelf life of an emotion or on a particular issue in one's life, especially the one, the shame, the guilt, the grief can last a lifetime. And, and it's almost like saying to the hotel guests, I've just built another room in the home for you to lodge yourself here for the rest of my life. Mm. And I like to think of that visual, that metaphor to sort of say, nope, that there's not an extra room in the home for you. You're here. I'm going to take care of you while you're here. But my job is to be a hospitality person to help su support that emotion, but also to allow that emotion to go on its journey beyond here. Mm. I don't know if it's Rumi or if it's Hafez who says that fear is the cheapest room in the house and I want better accommodation for you. <laughs> right? So it like this could be either one. Right? Yes, like, I like they, there's there's such overlap there, but I I I wanted to bring hospitality into this because it's it's so much at the root of everything that you've done. Like for me hospitality is paying attention to detail and being thoughtful and using what you see of the other in order to craft experiences that feel like home to them or, or feel like you're seen. And you just brought us through what you've called the, the dark night of the soul for yourself. And that as you began to emerge from that liminal space, you looked around you and you were like, things need to change. Mm -hmm. In 2018, you had a, a diagnosis of cancer. And one of the things that I've read about how you talk about that is like, one, you wanted to get information out about prostate cancer, but you also, and you also want to talk about how we survive sort of these big things that, that enter our lives. And mm. what I read was for you, that's about support and relationship. Can we talk a little bit about the power of relatedness and support and connection for you in light of everything that we've just talked about? Sure. Well, big C community and small C community mm -hmm. have always been important to me. And yet I, I grew up very much a loner with imaginary friends. Mm -hmm. And so the idea as an adult that I have gotten to a place where community is so central to how I live my life is, is, is sort of curious to me. But what I know is this, I, I know that whether it's being one of the founding board members of Burning Man and that kind of big global community or at Airbnb when I was there being in charge of all the hosts and, and the, that community globally, or more recently with the modern elder community, which is, you know, small cohorts of 20 to 24 people in each workshop and then a, an alumni community globally. What I know for sure is that community and having a sense of belonging is 
the number one variable that's correlated with living a long, happy, healthy life. This is not just true of the Harvard Development Study, which Bob Waldinger's book, The Good Life, just came out. It's true of the Blue Zones. Uh, Dan Butner, who started Blue Zones Research, is coming to MEA to teach. Uh, it's the num number one variable for Blue Zones. Number one variable for Stanford Medical School uh, Dean Dr. Phil Pizzo's work. So community isn't just something that makes you feel good. It's actually something that helps you live a healthy life. And for me, when I got my prostate cancer diagnosis in 2018, it was very ill-timed. <laughs> it was the day after my book, Wisdom at Work, came out. It was the day before I was giving a TED speech at TED headquarters. It was six weeks before we were opening the Modern Elder Academy, open to the public. So it wasn't, you know, I wasn't prepared for it. But I had a I had a collection of people there to support me and to love me and and then a new collection of people I was getting to know who you know had have prostate cancer and who could teach me a few things. My prostate cancer has recently moved to my lymphs, so it's now moving. It is in my body in more ways than it used to be. So I'm having to you know again tap into community from a lot of my support there. But I guess at the end of the day, the most important thing I know is that it's so easy to suffer alone. It is so easy to feel like what we're experiencing, no one else has experienced before, nor could anybody imagine what we're going through. And the reality is that is extremely selfish thinking. <laughs> it is a thinking that suggests that the world revolves around us. And my experience is that by being openly vulnerable about what's going on with me is I am welcoming people into my life who relate to what I'm talking about. I'm giving them the opportunity to talk about it as well. So in some ways, my biggest fear, which is to come out and talk about this stuff, is the antidote to the loneliness. It's the antidote to feeling self in a self-imposed prison. So that's what I do. So I write about it in my blog and I have a daily blog called Wisdom Well. And I, of course, I don't write about it every day, but I do write about it. I don't, I don't hold it back. Some people think I should hold it back, but I grew up in a family that held back way too much. So, you know, I, I don't hold it back. I'm glad you don't hold it back. Thank you. Yeah. There is something so powerful in the kind of community that you build when everybody gets to be their entire self, mm -hmm. right? I mean, this is so much of the work of this podcast and, and the work that I believe in in the world. It's like when you have to hide who you are for whatever reason, for multiple reasons, when you have to hide that, like you can't, you can't connect. We can't connect in the ways that we most need. And you know, as you're speaking, I have this image in my head of life and how many difficult transitions there are and how much difficult, impossible fucking news that we get at different points in our lives. And like that there is a cleaving point mm. there where we need to look for the nets that can hold us, the branch that can hold us when we go into the goo of our own chrysalis and how honest and how generous can we be with our own truth so that we can help, I don't know, give permission to others 
to sure. be open and generous with their own truth. Like I, I'm kind of getting mushed in my like utopian vision of the world here, but like <laughs> I, I truly, truly believe that by f- building and finding communities where we can tell the entire truth about our experience, like this is how we thrive and find meaning and make change happen in our smaller communities and our larger communities. And so much of the work that you're doing is about like that, that permission giving and that mentoring and that generosity of experience, even and including the experience of really difficult things and what that allows for other people. Yeah. I don't see an alternative way. Mm. I came out at age 22 as a gay man and, and that was hard. I was Stephen Townsend Conley Jr. I was chip off the old block, my, the only son and the oldest uh, uh, child of two firstborn parents who were very motivated for me to become president of the United States someday. And coming out was really hard uh, at age 22, the summer of AIDS being on the cover of Newsweek magazine. So this is 1983. And long story short is it's exactly what I needed to do. So I believe that our process of coming out, I've come out as an elder now, you know, and no one wants to be an elder. That sounds like you're old, like elderly, (laughs) Ah. but we'll come back to that. I'm sure. And, And being an elder is a process of coming out. And I just think there's a process of coming out as a cancer survivor or, you know, I can't imagine a world in which I held this inside. Mm. I know how corrosive that can be to my my intestines. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want my my intestines are talking to me right now and That's saying right. no, no more storing of that kind of crap inside of us. So yeah, I, it's my openness to being candid and vulnerable just opens the door for someone else. Yeah, it's one of those both and equations, right? Like you do this because it's what you need and it is your, it's what you need, right? And it's Mm -hmm. also how Mm -hmm. we build relationships where you get to do that together and be seen in that and be supported. And it does make the world possible for those around us who aren't really sure or it's maybe not safe or they don't think that the world will hear and see them and support them in the ways that we most long for. And so it's like, it's just such a win, win, win thing all around mm. to be mm-hmm. able to to speak to that stuff. So where, I love that you just said coming out as an elder, as somebody who's like turning 53 this year, I'm like, do I need to come out as an elder? Is it time? I'm not really sure. But like, where where does the Modern Elder Academy fit into this for you? We've been talking about vulnerability and connection and mentorship and generosity. And like, wh- how does this come together for you? So the story of what is a modern elder, let's even go there. Mm. I, I sold my boutique hotel company called Joie de Vivre uh, in 2010. Uh, after that flatline experience and all that, I just knew I, I needed to change. And at the bottom of the recession, I, you know, at the worst timing, I decided, okay, I'm done with this after 24 years. And then a couple of years later, I was asked by the three founders of Airbnb to join them, their little tech startup. And this was over 10 years ago. And they wanted me to come in and help take this little tech startup and turn it into a a global hospitality brand. And so within the first couple of months I was there, they started calling me the modern elder. I was like, I don't want to be the modern elder. You're being ageist. I want to be hip and relevant. Yeah. (laughs) But the truth was I was 52 at the time and the average age in the company was 26. 
So elder is a relative term. It means you're older than the people around you. Elderly is not relative. It's sort of like the last few years of your life when you're frail and you, you really need care and support and service. But elder, you could be an elder in, you know, what's his name? Tom Brady, the football player, quarterback, is an elder at 45, you know, in the NFL. No doubt. No one would discount that. So I, I I owned the term partly because of what the Airbnb founders said to me. They said, Chip, a modern elder is someone who's as curious as they are wise. It's like, oh, wow, I like that. I hope I am both curious and wise. And so I owned the idea of being the Airbnb modern elder. I spent seven and a half years with Airbnb take, taking them up till just about when the IPO happened. And it was, you know, it became the most valuable hospitality company in the world. And I really am proud of being the mentor to the three founders during that time and full-time four years of it and three and a half years part-time. But at the end of my time there, I started writing a book called Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder. And while I was writing that book down in Baja, uh, Southern Baja in Mexico, Baja, California, I had a Baja aha, I had an epiphany. And the epiphany was, why don't we have midlife wisdom schools? Why don't we have a place where Megan at 53 could come to reimagine and repurpose herself and to ask deeper and bigger questions about how to reframe our relationship with aging or to, how to try on a growth mindset instead of a fixed mindset or how to navigate midlife transitions, how to actually cultivate and harvest wisdom. So, and how to regenerate one's purpose and the planet. So those became the curriculum pillars of MEA, the Modern Elder Academy, which has been around now for about five years in Baja. And uh, we have over 3,000 alumni from 42 countries and 26 regional chapters around the world. We're opening two huge campuses in Santa Fe, New Mexico over the next couple of years as well. So we'll, we'll have a beachhead in the United States. But I, I, what I've come to learn is that wisdom is not taught, it's shared. And so to create the world's first midlife wisdom school dedicated to helping people to get to know each other from the inside out, which is the opposite of how we normally get to know each other, and dedicated to helping people to learn how to unlock their own wisdom is, you know, my, the, the gift that I, I want to offer the world at this stage of my life. Mm, I love that. And, and I love that. It seems like the Modern Elder Academy is like, and you use this this word. We've used it a lot together, but you use it a lot in the the language on the on the website. Is the it's like a space for liminality. Like it is, it, it's a physical manifestation of a liminal space in which it is safe to explore your edges and your transitions and who and how you want to be in the world mm -hmm. in this mm -hmm. next act for yourself. And I, I love that because it's like it's tangible, concrete practices in the midst of a liminal experience are, are few and far between. So I love that you That's have, true. you have yeah. crafted that for people. Well, also, Megan, I mean, we, we, there are three life stages that got introduced in the 20th century. Mm -hmm. One was adolescence. The word, word didn't exist until 1904. And once we realized that, you know, puberty and your teen years were just a transitional era, all of a sudden, we started giving a lot of resources to kids in adolescence. Similarly, retirement is, is a life stage that got sort of introduced in the 1920s and 30s and Social Security and pensions and all kinds of things. But midlife as a life stage really didn't actually get popularized until the 1960s. And uh, the one thing it got was a bad brand, midlife crisis. 
And we've done very little as a society to help people to understand the liminal nature of going through what uh, some sociologists call middle essence, you know, the middle of your life and a, a transitional period where going through emotional, hormonal, physical, and identity transitions, just like you did in as an adolescent. So I do believe it, and especially having had five friends taking their lives, all of them in midlife. I was like, you know what? This is the this is something the world needs. Yeah. I love that you brought back the bad branding of of, yeah. of midlife, right? Like, and I think this is true for people, honestly, regardless of age, if you receive some life altering news, you know, somebody dies yes. or you get a, a diagnosis or an injury that changes things, it's like, well crap, right? Like all mm. I see ahead is my life without this person or my life without the body the way that I understood it before. Like there is so much hopelessness that can happen in those moments. And some of the, and many of the, most of what we teach is relevant at any age, to be Mm. honest with you. We've had people as young as 28 and as old as 88 come to the program. And uh, 16% of the people who come are, are millennials, even though it's called the Modern Elder Academy. So I, I think the principles involved here in terms of how do you navigate transitions and how do you how do you cultivate wisdom are relevant at any age yeah so here's the question that i ask everybody at this time as we're drawing to a close and we've kind of touched on this without naming it our whole time together but knowing what you know over your vast long careers and life and everything and living what you've lived and what you're living now what does hope look like for you right now? Well, hope is different than expectation. Let's mm-hmm. be clear about that. <laughs> expectation has an entitlement attached to it. Hope has optimism. But it, in my definition of hope, hope also has a game plan. You know, I, I'm a very active person in life. So it's hard for me to just sit back and I, I can have faith, but faith is different than hope. Faith actually is is really, I think, believing in something beyond yourself to actually solve things. But hope is, I think, a nice mixture of a little bit of faith and a little bit of your own actions that you take with an optimistic perspective that will allow you to have agency. And that's a very important word. It's a word that isn't used a whole lot. Agency means that you have the capacity to make a difference. And it's one that it's easy to get lost, that that word to get lost in a a world where we can feel completely overwhelmed by all of the doom scrolling. But agency is an important part of hope, in my opinion. I love that. You've hit two of my favorite words in the English language in our time together, agency and liminality. So two for two (laughs) for you. Thank you so much for being here. I've really enjoyed our time together and talking about these things. We're going to link to all of your work, Modern Elder Academy and your books and your TED Talks and all of the things, but is there anywhere you would like to send listeners or where they should find you that you want them to know right now? I have a daily blog. It's called Wisdom Well. It's a microdose of wisdom every day and it's free. But you can go to the Modern Elder Academy website and look for it or just do a Google search for Chip Conley Wisdom Well. And uh, you receive it early early in the morning. And I, it's a great way for people to start their day with just a little dose of both practicality and optimism in terms of how do, how do I help offer a little hope and wisdom to you 
as you go on your day. Love it. Stay tuned, everybody. We will be back with your questions to carry with you right after this break. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Each week, I leave you with some questions to carry with you until we meet again. Now, you know what really struck me in this conversation? Well, okay, one thing. I love what he said about agency being an important part of hope. Like, if you feel like there's absolutely nothing you can do for yourself or for your people or for the world, like, how can you possibly access hope? So finding the places that you do have some power where you can make choices, maybe that unlocks at least the potential for hope. I love that. Also, I just love the concept of agency. It's one of my favorite things in the whole world. This conversation also has me wondering if I have personally reached quote unquote elder status. <laughs> I, I don't know yet. I mean, in my mind, I'm still in like late 30s, early 40s tops, but that is factually untrue. <laughs> if I am an elder, what does that bring up for me? Could there be power and excitement in that or some other collection of feelings? That's a question that I'm going to carry with me, both whether I am an elder and if I am, how do I feel about that? How about you? What stuck with you in this conversation? What questions are you going to carry with you? Everybody's going to take something different from today's episode, but I do hope you found something to hold on to. If you want to tell me how today's show felt for you or you have thoughts on what we covered, especially if you have reached midlife or elder status, let me know. Tag me at Refuge in Grief on all the social platforms so I can hear how this conversation affected you. Follow the show at It's OK Pod on TikTok and Refuge in Grief everywhere else to see video clips from the show and use the hashtag It's OK Pod on all the platforms, not only so I can find you, but others can too. None of us are entirely okay. 
and it's time we start talking about that together. Yeah? It's okay that you're not okay. You're in good company. That's it for this week, friends. Remember to subscribe to the show and leave a review. Not only do your reviews help make the show easier to find, like more reviews, the more often the show shows up in searches, but also your reviews are really special to me personally, and I read every single one of them. And when I run out of new ones to read, I'm bummed out. So, you know, (laughs) help me out by giving me new reading material. All right, coming up next week, an incredibly joyful conversation about mortality with death doula Elua Arthur. If you're like, oh my God, why would I want to listen to a show about mortality, especially if I'm already wrestling with difficult things in my own life? Okay, well, tune in to find out because talking about death might just make life infinitely better for you, for the people you love, and for everyone. So follow the show on your favorite platforms so you don't miss an episode. Want more on these topics? Look, grief is everywhere. As my dad says, daily life is full of everyday grief that we don't call grief. Learning how to have these conversations is an important skill for everybody. Whether you're facing the end of your own life or somebody you love, or it is an ordinary Monday afternoon. These skills are important for everybody. So get help to have those kinds of conversations, get the skills you need with trainings, professional resources, and my best-selling book, It's Okay That You're Not Okay, plus the guided journal for grief at megandevine.co. It's Okay That You're Not Okay, the podcast is written and produced by me, Megan Devine. Executive producer is Amy Brown, co-produced by Elizabeth Fazio, with logistical and social media support from Micah post-production and very patient editing by Houston Tilly, music provided by Wavecrush, and background noise today provided by the many tiny little bird feet tap dancing on the metal awning outside my window. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.